Go to now ye that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boasting. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You've studied this, and we're not going to go into the full detail of, of this passage here. But he, he is not telling us it is wrong to plan. He is not saying just add on your plans, if the Lord will, like a magic little potion that you add on. But he's telling us that we must submit all our plans to God. God is sovereign. He can change those, and we're good with that, God. I am planning, but I am submitting this to you for whatever ways you may want to change that. But in the midst of this passage is really the foundation for not only the fact that um, we, yes, we understand God is in control, He is sovereign, but from our perspective, He says, It is important for us to understand this because your life is as a vapor. We're coming into that season of the year when you go outside and you can see your breath, okay? And um, we have been recently having some mornings where or nights where it's foggy. And the fog can be so thick and ominous and, and dangerous at times. And then it's like it, it's gone. We're at that time of the year that you may put the tea kettle on and, and you put the tea kettle on and it starts boiling and maybe you have one that whistles or, Steam starts coming out, and it's coming out with force, saying, I'm ready for the tea, and you take it off, and the vapor's gone. You know, God in life is giving us many, many, many messages reminding us about Him And one of them is this aspect that your life is as a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. Draws a lot of attention and then is gone. Vanishes. The word that is used here means unapparent, consumed, to disappear, to pass from a visible to an invisible state, having no perceptible existence. And then this definition, departing forever. 
I mean, think of it. What is your life? It is a vapor that appears for a little while, and then it departs forever. Our physical life he's talking about here. It's a gift of God that is quickly passing. And it is imperative that we as individuals understand that my life is a vapor in the grand scope of things, and it will vanish away. And if we come to see life as a vapor, as a mist, as a fog, as a breath that vanishes away, it will cause us to do a number of things in our life. And what James is reminding us of the the brevity, the uncertainty, the fact that God is in control for me to say, I'm going to go to this city, I'm going to stay there a year, I'm going to buy and sell, and I'm going to get gain. There's so many variables in there. One, I don't know that I'll make it to the city. I don't know that I'll stay there a year. I don't know that I can buy or sell, and we've all bought and sold and not got gain, right? But underneath all of this, James is reminding us that our life is a vapor. And understanding this should have a profound impact on our life. Number one, it should cause us to keep short accounts with God. Your Due day could be today. I mean, I doubt any of you woke up this morning and thought, wow, today could be my last day on earth. We don't think that way, do we? I mean, we like to think my mother lived to be 87 and my grandfather lived to be 97 and I'm probably going to, half between that, I'm going to live to be whatever. You know what I'm saying? Do you understand your life is a vapor? And it really is not up to your lineage, your heritage, that you are guaranteed any time. It's a vapor that God can make to disappear at any time. And the fact is, because of that, I need to keep short accounts with God. By that, I mean this aspect. Because of my sin, I am indebted to God. I have sinned against God, and only Jesus Christ came to pay that debt. So I need to make sure that, first of all, I have received Jesus Christ for the payment of my sin. But he wrote 1 John 1, 9 to believers, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When is the last time that you went before God and confessed your sin and asked him to forgive you? You know, many times as believers... 
We, we don't even consider sin. God, my spirit was filled with anxiety and fear, and I took matters into my own hands, and God, I was not trusting you. Will you forgive me? When is the last time you settled your accounts with God? Well, I thought when I got saved that my sins were forgiven, and indeed they are in your position before God. But in our fellowship with God, sin separates us from the fellowship of God. And you don't want to be spending your time getting ready to meet God when you perhaps are on your deathbed. Number one, we're not sure that we'll have an opportunity to make things right with God then. I mean... I know this isn't the most uplifting message, but it it will be uplifting if we start to live it. I mean, we ought to take account every day and say, God, I'm wrapping up this day. Help me to see where I've grieved your heart by my sin. And now, Lord... I seek your forgiveness. Not just flippantly, Lord, if I've done anything today that that uh, was sin, please forgive me. Please forgive me of all my sin today. That cheapens the grace of God. God, help me to confession is seeing sin the way you do. God, You see this as a violation of your character, of your nature. It's identifying with that which is not truth. God, I embrace that. I walked in that. Please forgive me for, as James says, my adultery, my friendship with the flesh and with the world. So understanding, here's my life, and it, it looks maybe like it's a vapor that, wow, this is, this is going to continue for a long time, how quickly it can dissipate. And it should cause us to keep short accounts with God. Secondly, it should cause us to live for what lasts. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. When we started the study, when you started the study in the book of James, we were told that James leaned heavy on the book of Proverbs and on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Notice in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. And and I want you thinking of this. Since my life is a vapor, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth 
nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He goes on and says, the light of the body is the eye. If your eye be single, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. And he concludes that by saying, no man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will cling to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and anything else. You can't have two masters. But he begins that passage by saying, don't place your treasures in this life. Your life is a vapor. It's going to be gone. Much of what we live for today will never last 10 years, let alone stand the test of eternity. I mean, think about it. You can't take a thing with you from this life. I mean, it's a vapor. It appears for a little while, and it's gone. What are you really treasuring? What are you living for? Are you living for that which will last? I mean, understanding that... Everything we see around us is going to be gone. I, I think of this often, and, and I thought of it younger, but I see it now. You see, you drive by a place, and they've just bulldozed the house in. They've had a fire there, burned up everything, and it's gone. You know... There was a day when there was a man or a couple that said, our new house is done. We're, we're moving into it. We, it's in the country. It's an acreage. There it is. That house that now a bulldozer just plowed down, dug a hole, burned up what would burn, and buried the rest. That's it. It appears for a little while, and it vanishes away. What are we really living for? If we understand, as you walk out in the cold air, God's trying to tell you as you breathe, this is your life, this is your life. As you wake up in the morning and see the fog and think, oh no, I've got to drive to work in the fog, and then you see it dissipate, God saying, here's a reminder, this is your life, it's just for a little while, so make sure that you are living for what is last. Lay up treasures in heaven. You know, we often say, what will this matter in one year? Often, things don't matter in one week. Or one year. Or ten years. Or fifty years. Let alone eternity. Some of you maybe can, but 
Can you tell me what the price of corn and beans were 10 years ago? Can you tell me what the Hawkeyes or Cyclones record was 10 years ago? Some of you can. 20 years ago, can you? 30 years ago? Does it matter? It really doesn't matter. But our relationship with God matters. Because after that vapor is gone, all that we're going to have is what we build with God. And so he says to us, live for what lasts. And in understanding our life is a vapor, it then should cause us to value today. This is the only day we have. Don't allow yesterday to ruin today. Don't allow ten years ago. Don't allow your past to ruin today. There's many people that have allowed their past to ruin every new day that they have. There, admittedly, there's been some bad things happen in their life, but they keep dragging the bad things into the new day. They've never laid it at the feet of Jesus Christ and said, God, you take it and use it however you want. I am receiving today as a gift from you, and I want to use it for your glory. No, they're bringing their bitterness into every day. They're allowing their past to ruin today. Yesterday is gone. Forget about it. Change the things you can change. Clear up things that you can. Learn from it, and then move on. My life is a vapor. So I need to value today. Don't allow yesterday to ruin today. Don't allow tomorrow to waste today. Every tomorrow is out of your control. Completely out of your control. And in Matthew chapter 6 again, he reminded us of the reality of this. In Matthew chapter 6, 22, he says, excuse me, I think it's 7, 22. I don't know where it is. In Matthew, I have the wrong reference down here. But, but he, he mentions the fact that we don't have control over our life. Our day, this moment is all that we have. We can't boast what we're going to do about tomorrow. And, and there's many that don't boast about what they're going to do tomorrow. They're fearful what tomorrow holds. Oh no, what's going to happen? What's going to happen in our nation? What's going to happen in my health? What's going to happen in the finances? What's going to happen with my kids? What's going to happen with my grandkids? And we're filled with anxiety that we don't value today. Listen, my life is a vapor. I don't even know that there'll be a tomorrow. And so I need to value today. And today I need to do what I know I should do. Satan wants you to waste today. Oh man, I blew it yesterday. Uh, uh, how could I be so stupid? Or, oh man, what's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen in the future. 
And right here, we wasted another day. About 30 years ago, a man who came to realize these truths, to value today, to live for what lasts, wrote this little poem. A wasted life I have spent. Certainly not what God meant. I've done what men would think was strong, but God would say it was wrong. I know that now, when it's too late, I'm sorry I caused his heart to break. My family I've failed and the lost, and I'll know someday at what the cost. My message to the saved in Christ, please, oh please, don't waste your life. Do God's things first. You can't go wrong. It's then your family will be strong. God, we know He is first, for His love will never thirst. Do you understand we waste our life? If we come to realize, here's my life, it's a vapor. And this is it. Today is the only day that I have. And I'm not going to let the past destroy today. And I'm not going to let the future. What does God want me to do today? To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Value today. And then, if we realize life is a vapor, we will use what we have. We will use what's entrusted to us. Don't compare your vapor with other people's vapor. Use what you have. We waste our time thinking what we would do if things were different. If I had taken a different job, if I'd married somebody different, if this hadn't happened to me, if this does happen to me. Hebrews 13.5 says, be content with such things as you have. You're going to be held accountable for what you have. If only I, I would have done this. If only I was gifted in this way. I mean, we can sit there, well, if if I could sing, I'd get up and sing a special. Or if I, you know, I, I thought today, um, Peter filled in on the piano, I thought, Peter's a diesel mechanic, and he can play the piano. I can't do either one of those. <laughs> but whatever God's given you, Use it for him. This is the only vapor. I don't, this is the vapor he's given me. This is the life he's put in me. Don't compare yourself to others. That's of the devil. That's not wise, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Just say, God, here's my life, my past, my future. Here's today, and today this is what you've put in my hand, and I want to use it. For your glory. Why should God give us any more when we are not using what we already have? I mean, why should God entrust any more 
to us. Don't worry about it. I mean, I always think just hoe your own row. You know what I mean? You might say, they got a better hoe. It has fiberglass handle. This thing's got slivery wood handle, you know. Well, put some sweat on it. It'll smooth it up, all right? Just get in your row, hoe, and quit looking around at others. Take care of what God's given you. Why? Because it's a vapor. Today's the only day it's here. Use what you have. And if we learn to see life as a vapor, we'll see trials differently as well. The trials that come into our life, when they come into our life, it can be as something that that's all we see. It blackens the sun out from us. That's all that we see. But if we understand, wait a minute, this trial is in this vapor that's only for a little while. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. When we understand life is a vapor, it will change how we view our, our trials. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. Notice Paul's attitude. For I reckon, Paul must have had a little southern blood in him, right? For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed unto us. How did he see it? The sufferings of this present vapor are not worthy to be compared when it dissipates to the glory that we will have in Christ Jesus. This trial, whatever trial you are experiencing now or in life, it is just a part of the vapor, and the vapor will be gone, and so will the trials, and the glory will be all that's left. Notice if you turn to 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, again, Paul writing says, for our, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a vapor, but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Notice what he says. Our trial, which is just a part of this vapor, which is a moment when we see life as a vapor, it will be gone and we will have an eternal, glorious reward. So it changes how we view. Do you understand People that are going through persecution for the cause of Christ, this becomes a reality. This becomes a reality that soon this will be over and we'll be in the presence of God. This vapor, this cloud that we're going through will be gone and we will be in His presence. One other, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 6 and 7. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, 
If need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptation, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Wherein we greatly rejoice, though now for a season, for a vapor. Okay, God, this is a trial that I'm going through. And Paul prayed that God would remove his thorn in the flesh, and God didn't. But Paul said, I know that this season, Peter said here, but Paul said it it works for a little while and then afterwards produces great fruit. He says it's short. God, I'm going through this, and I am trusting you to produce good out of it. And I know someday this vapor will be gone, and I will be in your presence. And all sorrow will be gone. The difference that that makes in how we respond to life, we see trials differently. And then, when we see life as a vapor, we will be prepared for the inevitable. George Bernard Shaw astutely observed, the statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of one people die. If we realize my life is a vapor and it is inevitable that this vapor will dissipate, we will prepare. A wise man prepares for what is inevitable. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. And there is only one way to prepare. It's to turn from our sin and running our own life and to call upon Jesus Christ to forgive our sins and save our soul and to direct our lives. And that is the only way that we can be prepared for what is inevitable. And in understanding, everybody we see, they're a vapor that's only there for a little while. And our job is to make sure we're prepared. Am I prepared for what is inevitable? Have I trust, am I trusting only in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins? And how can God use me to help them prepare? For what is inevitable. In 1887, William Borden was born in a prominent and wealthy Chicago family. Borden's father had made a fortune in Colorado silver mining, But the family was unrelated to the Borden Condensed Milk Company. You familiar with the Borden Condensed? It was a great, still is, I guess. This young Borden, William Borden, was often asked about his wealth, and they would assume that he was part of the Borden Condensed Milk Company, and he would respond... The rich condensed milk firm 
bears the name of Borden, but we have nothing to do with it. Their money came from the silver mines of Colorado. After his mother was converted to Jesus Christ in 1894, she took young Borden to Chicago Avenue Church, later known as, and today still known as, Moody Church, where he responded to the preaching of the gospel of Pastor R.A. Torrey. From that juncture in his life, prayer and Bible study became hallmarks of his life. After he graduated from the Hill School at, in Pottstown, Pennsylvania at 16 years of age, his parents gave him the gift of a chaperone trip around the world. How would some of you seniors like that, huh? It was during that trip that he first developed a desire to become a foreign missionary. In London, once again, under the preaching of R.A. Torrey, who was holding meetings there, Borden surrendered his life to whatever God wanted him to do. He said, God, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. He entered Yale University in 1905, and with the encouragement of a young tutor, Borden began daily prayer groups that within two years reached the entire university from the freshman class to the senior class. Borden became known as a man with a burden for missions. His energetic and charismatic personality was one that opened many doors for him. He was very sociable. He was athletic and fun-loving. But also he was an intense and hard worker, a natural leader. At Yale, he was elected the president of Phi Beta Kappa. He was active in several collegiate sports, especially wrestling. With his own money, He funded the New Haven Rescue Mission and there did personal work himself. One well-traveled English visitor asked what had most impressed him about his visit to America. And he replied, the sight of that young millionaire kneeling with his arm around a bum at the Yale Hope Mission." After graduating from Yale in 1909, Borden attended Princeton Seminary, graduated from there in 1912, and a professor there wrote that no other student had exerted a greater personal influence over him than Borden had. He wrote, his judgment was so unerring and so mature that I always forgot there was such a difference in our ages. His complete consecration and devotion to Christ were a revelation to me, and his confidence in prayer a continual inspiration. Meanwhile, Borden's reputation was such that he became a board member of the National Bible Institute in New York City, and at one point temporarily took 
charge of that whole ministry. They entrusted it to him from office management to student practical training to the operation of four rescue missions. He also became a director of the Moody Bible Institute and at age 22, a member of the China Inland Mission. Borden's intention was to become a missionary to the Muslims in northwestern China. But he he decided first to study Islam and Arabic in Cairo, Egypt, boarding with a Syrian family there so that he could hear Arabic spoken as much as possible. He also spent time actively distributing on the streets Christian sermons that were written in a Quranic style. In 1913, he contracted cerebral meningitis and died a few weeks later. He was 25. Ironically, his mother had just arrived from America to vacation with him in the mountains of Lebanon, and she was present for the simple funeral in which they held for Borden, and on his grave were inscribed these words, A man in Christ... He arose and forsook all and followed him. Kindly affectioned with brotherly love, fervent in spirit serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, instant in prayer, communicating to the necessity of the saints, in honor preferring one another, apart from faith in Christ, There is no explanation for such a life. All of that was on the tombstone of where they laid him. Memorial services were conducted for him at Princeton. They were held at an African church where he had taught Sunday school for two years and other places. When Borden died... He bequeathed $800,000 to the China Inland Mission and other agencies. Following Borden's death, his mother found in his Bible the words, No Reserve, and a date suggesting that it had been written shortly after he had renounced his fortune in favor of missions. When he did that, his father said, you will never have a place of prominence in our business. Later, he wrote the words, also written in the Bible, no retreat, that gave the indication that his, he wrote that after his father had told him that. And finally, shortly before he died in Egypt, he wrote in his Bible, no regrets, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. We say, he, he died at 25. 
What was his life? His life was a vapor that was just like yours and mine. But he made a decision to invest in that which was eternal. And he came down and said, I'm not holding anything back. There are no reserves. I am not turning back. There are no retreats. And at 25 years of age, dying of cerebral meningitis, he wrote, I have no regrets. No one will ever regret giving God their all. No one will ever regret living in light of the fact that my life is a vapor. And because of that, God, what do you want me to do? No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Heavenly Father, I pray that the truth of James, the truth of your word, the reality that our life is a vapor would have an impact on our lives, not only today, but until our vapor remains. And Lord, I pray that the life of William Borden would speak to our hearts and challenge us. And Lord, I pray today that if there is one person here today who is not prepared for the inevitable, that they do not know they have forgiveness of sins, I pray today that they would call upon the name of you for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, I pray for believers here today who have not kept short accounts with you. I pray today that we would make sure there is nothing between our soul and the Savior. Lord, I pray that every one of us here today would live for what lasts, that we would value today, that we'd use what you have given us. And Lord, perhaps those that are going through a a severe trial right now, may they be encouraged to know that it only is for a little while, for a short time, for a season. And Lord, I pray that there would be great glory brought to you as we realize and live in light of the fact that our life is a vapor. We pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. Let's stand together with our heads bowed.